Hello everyone, this is your host Eduardo Lucas Braun here with Historical Hot Takes, a new podcast where I, your host Eduardo Lucas Braun, will be talking about events in history that many people may not know about, that they're not aware of, whether it be it's not covered in the history books, whether it be it's just something that's been buried, who knows, but I'm here to talk about it and provide my commentary on historical figures historical events, and basically just historical things that I find very, very interesting. Today, I'm going to be covering a very, very, very interesting person, a very, very interesting historical figure that I find fascinating, somebody that is pretty controversial in certain countries in the world, a person who is not necessarily well-known here in the United States, uh mostly because of their foreign origin and the fact that they are not necessarily uh, a big contributor to any United States history. However, their work is in some ways directly related to that of the United States and their legacy on the world stage. We'll get to that in a second. And that character, that historical figure that we're going to be talking about today is Yukio Mishima. We're going to be talking about Yukio Mishima and the event uh, that he is probably the most well-known for, which is his coup attempt in Japan on November 25th, 1970. Uh, This isn't the most crazy, huge, big event ever, but it is something very important, and I think it does reflect the sort of shockwaves, if you will, of the ending of World War II and how that really affected uh, Japan as a whole. So buckle in and get ready for a very interesting discussion about a very interesting man. Before we want to get into this podcast, I just want to take a little second to give you a word from our sponsor, Nasreen's Neck Braces. Have you ever fallen off a ladder and broken your own neck? Have you ever gotten into a car crash and just barely survived by the skin of your teeth? Have you ever fallen off a skateboard and broken your neighbor's window with it while simultaneously hitting yourself in your C4? Well, this problem will be solved by Nasreen's neck braces. They are affordable. They come in many different colors. They are gorgeous to look at. All your neighbors would be like, wow, what an amazing neck brace you're wearing. That's incredible. So... Everybody hop on down and get a Nasreen's neck brace. They come in blue. They come in red. They come in black. They come in white. They have polka dots. Get one for your dog. Get one for your pet bird. Get one for your grandma. All sizes, all shapes. Holidays coming up. Christmas. Thanksgiving. uh, Easter. uh, Valentine's Day. Get your your significant other a Nasreen's neck brace. I bet you they'll appreciate it. You'll be the talk of your town, man. Nasreen's neck braces. Only fifty nine ninety nine plus tax and shipping. Hello, we're back. So, Yukio Mishima, one of the most controversial literary figures in the world, ever. Or he was, anyway. His work still lives on through hundreds of written novels, poems, essays. It's insane, actually, how much work that Yukio Mishima was actually able to do um, in his short time on Earth. 
Yukio Mishima Mm-mm. was born January 14th, 1925. And his real name, before he took up the pen name of Yukio Mishima, was Kimitake Hiraoka. Now, here's the thing. He was born previous to Japan's involvement in World War II. He grew up in a Japan that was becoming increasingly imperialist. This is something very important to remember. And it was after World War II where Yukio Mishima really became um, who he is as we know him as the literary figure. It is because of those events that caused him to be who he was. Now, here's the thing about Yukio Mishima. A lot about Yukio Mishima that wasn't known for a while in terms of personal life provide great insight into who he would become later in life. Yukio Mishima uh, was taken away from his parents and lived with his grandmother for a very, very long time. His grandmother, Natsuko, basically dominated his entire life and she was also very sickly she didn't she she did she was not in the best health she was in failing health but she was overprotective of him and she was also a what you would call a uh like an uh, uh, a bureaucrat aristocracy type person and because of this mishima developed he he was able to grow up into the world of the higher class people. And after that, he, it didn't really, all of those things didn't really translate well into him having a good childhood. She, um, his grandmother was actually very um, violent and, you know, very morbid, if you will. Um, and, and this, I think, took some time uh to sort of make its way into the minds of people to understand that in some of his work, Mishima obviously talks about this. But what ended up happening was later in Mishima's work, he has a fascination with death, which is something that a lot of people have dissected. There is a whole fascination with death and its relationship um, to maybe sexual pleasure. And those things uh, sort of are what made Mishima's work a little bit controversial. Some of what made Mishima's work controversial. There's other things that make it a little bit more controversial. And some people have connected those two things together because of Natsuko and her very violent, morbid outbursts at times. And he was almost very much surrounded by death, if you will. And due to this, you know, this happened at a developing age. And if we were to take, say, the... The, the stance of like a Freudian philosopher, right? These things are coming into the moments where he is developing, uh, you know, within those stages, if you will. So then later, it translates into something different. It manifests itself into something different. And that is the very death-heavy fascination with death-heavy glorification of death-heavy work that we see uh, in Mishima uh, with all of his works, books, films, music, his plays, his poems, all of that stuff, very, very, very um, concerned with death. When Mishima was older, he wanted to join the army uh, in Japan. And this was pretty close to, you know, World War II happening. Um, And 
one of the things about this, which I think sort of, if you would say it, it sort of helps uh, inform what we know about Mishima, especially later in life uh, with his private army, which we'll get to. He um, was received a draft notice to go into the military. And this happened, I believe, in 1944. So we're in the midst of World War II. Japan has already been fighting with uh, the United States for some time now. And he, when he, he passed, he, you know, kind of barely passed the tests he needed to get in, the written tests. When he had his physical tests, an army doctor misdiagnosed him with tuberculosis and he wasn't able, he wasn't fit for service on the front lines. Now, because of this, there's a little bit of mm, a controversial issue with why that happened. And that is because Mishima, he had like a cold and he had a high fever and he was tired. Uh, and this was usually because of traveling. And, you know, if, if, we were, if we are to go off of, say, the movie Mishima Life and War Chapters by Paul Schrader... It even came because he was a coward, and he didn't really want to. And he lied when um, when the doctors were asking him questions, because he only had these symptoms, but he sort of answered yes in the affirmative to questions related to tuberculosis, which wouldn't have been true for him. And it is because of this that he was unable to join the army. And this created a sort of inferiority complex with Mishima. And a fascination with the military that we'll see later on in his life when we get to that. And afterwards, um, we we do see um, his personal life sort of take a turn into, you know, this inferiority complex even about himself physically, which manifested him becoming, getting into bodybuilding later in his life. I believe for the last 15 years of his life, he worked out three times a week without interruption ever for 15 straight years. He was never interrupted, not once, um, in terms of his workout, his, his workout regimen that was weekly, three times a week. So after World War II, I brought this up. There was the unconditional surrender um, that sort of, you would say... Uh, handicapped Japan, cut it off at the knees, if you will, both economically and in terms of force on the world stage. Militarily, it was very bad. And uh, Mishima, like a lot of people in Japan, if you will, at the time, especially, say, bureaucrats, you know, high high up um, aristocratic people, this would have been something that was very damaging to them and to the in the pride of Japan, if you will. Because Japan had been becoming an empire at that point. I believe during World War II, up until um, the bombing at Pearl Harbor, they cover, they, they, had, uh, they had been occupying a land from their island all the way to India. But like to the border of India, not like India itself. They didn't conquer India. But they were, they were rising power in Asia. Like really, really rising power. Now, after this happened, you know, pride in Japan is down. A lot of Japanese people, especially aristocrats, are probably angry at the government of the United States and the Allied powers for 
um, economic embargoes and military embargoes. And a lot of artists like Yukio Mishima, right, they take a considerably right-wing stance in terms of all of this, right, a pro-traditionalist Japan stance. And it is after World War II where Mishima starts to write, create his literature that ultimately becomes the things that define who he is in the public eye. The least of which, not the least of which is Confessions of a Mask, right? We also have uh, Patriotism, The Sound of Waves, The Temple of the Golden Pavilion. These things, these uh, literary works come to define Mishima. They come to make Mishima the the man he is the, the, and, and famous, if you will. He becomes Japan's most celebrated literary author. But he's right-wing. And Japan is moving considerably left-wing post-World War II. There are more socialists. And, you know, Yukio Mishima, he rejected socialism. He rejected communism. He was somebody who, he rejected globalism. He, he believed in Shintoism. He wanted the Yamamoto Damashi, the Monono Aware. He, like, was, he wanted to reinstate the Japanese emperor. He, 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 he loved Japan and what it was prior to 1947 when, Japan, um, const- when Japan's constitution uh, changed and he you know the the constitution of defeat which it is called um because that is the constitution that was basically forced on japan for them to make after um world war after world war Two. so it's 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 a it's it's something there's a lot of emotions basically surrounding all of that now as yukio mishima's career progresses he, you know, again, more literary works. He was known for being a writer. He starred in film adaptations of his own works, even. Patriotism being one of them. That being the most, um, how you say, I guess, known of his acting. Patriotism, the right of love and death. Which he directed himself, actually, and came out in 1966, a mere four years before his death. Um, he also did some modeling. And then... He and then it, it was in 1955. I brought this up earlier, where he became weight train, where he started weight training, and um, he also became very skilled at like kendo and traditional Japanese swordsmanship, and um, you know these things came to define his life. And it's interesting that those are the things that uh, Yukio Mishima became interested in, because Mishima not only it wasn't only like Mishima held these principles, right? The principles of traditional Japan. Um, to to his core on his inner being but even with his you know his 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 um his interest in martial arts and traditional japanese swordsmanship mishima a lot has sometimes been dubbed the last samurai because of this because he was so interconnected with that entire state of japan's being with that culture and he loved it, and not only did he love it, it was very much a part of him. You know, there's the whole thing about like you know, uh, you know, Batman. It, it, it with a superhero, right? There are superheroes whose masks are reversed, right? Clark Kent, 
is the disguise for Superman. Superman is Superman. Clark Kent is his disguise. With Bruce Wayne, they say Batman is the disguise and Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne. When in reality, Bruce Wayne is the mask and Batman is who Bruce Wayne actually is. That is him as a person. That is who he really is. Bruce Wayne is the is the is the actual mask for who he is. That is the person he never has been um, since the death of his parents. For Yukio Mishima, you know, Kimi Kimi Kimitake Hirakora Hiraoka is dead. Yukio Mishima is what's left in his place. That is actually Yukio Mishima, even though that is the pen name. But that's actually who he is. And this gets into a lot of other things. Now, here's here's the other thing. Um, there's some something that's very controversial about Yukio Mishima, which was even denied by his widow until the day he died, is his apparent uh, homosexuality. He spent a lot of time in gay bars, and his... You know, his sexual orientation was really bothering and troublesome to to his wife at the time. And she's always, up until, you know, after his death, always, forever, she always um, denied his homosexuality. And then I, and when the film Mishima Life in Four Chapters had come out, that was a, a very controversial thing that was featured in the movie was his visiting of gay bars. And because of that, it made for a very part of that made for a very tumultuous um, release in Japan, actually. And it, it was subsequently basically banned in Japan. And a lot of theaters just wouldn't show the film because Mishima, because of what he did, because of who he was. And there's a weird, uh, if you will, maybe not weird, but there's a pride about his image because he did give name to the nationalists post-World War II, many of which at that time in 1970, uh, post-1970, because I believe that movie came out in 1984, right? They still would have been there, right? And maybe they still would have uh, considered Yukio Mishima really a martyr, if you will. But it is it is something that that it's it's been very much... Um, it's been very much debated, but it's basically um, amongst those who are very pro Yukio Mishima but anti LGBTQ. Um, it's very clear that um that Mishima did have these urges and was and was definitely on that on that spectrum, if you will. And then we get to the final chapter of Yukio Mishima's life on November twenty fifth, nineteen seventy. Yukio Mishima and four members of the Tate no Kai, who were the Shield Society, which were basically the private army that Yukio Mishima had developed. Um, they were weaponless, but they worked in close coordination with the army. They went to, they had gone to the the Tokyo headquarters of the Eastern Command of the Japanese Self-Defense Forces. And it was there that uh, they barricaded the office, they barricaded the office of the, the commandant, the commandant, if you will, to that whole uh, 
basically barracks self right to that to that whole command center and they asked him to basically get the soldiers of the barracks all the lieutenants all the soldiers to basically organize themselves outside of uh under this balcony where that was outside of the office that Mishima was then going to go on and there he gave a speech to them and they could you know they could probably barely hear them and and it was booed and it it turned out that very much that his re- his message did just did not resonate with anybody and then he and his um his uh his right-hand man to the operation they did the Tenohake Banzai, Long Live the Emperor, basically, three times, and they went back inside. And it was there that Yukio Mishima performed seppuku. Now, this is the ritual suicide of the samurai, right? They disembowel themselves, and they have a second person come and chop off their head while this is happening. And when this happened... Mishima, he disemboweled himself, and it took apparently several tries to actually cut off his head, which is horrific to think about because it means that they did, there was, there was a couple chops. A couple chops went into taking off Yukio Mishima's head. Um, probably because whoever was doing it was just unskilled and obviously unpracticed at that because who probably thought that that was, I mean, they knew that that was going to happen. He and the other person who had committed um, seppuku knew that was going to happen. So that was probably, but they probably like they probably just weren't ready, right? Because like, how do you practice to do that? And there was probably a lot of nervousness about it as well. And that was the end of Yukio Mishima, but not the end of his legacy, which to this day is still very controversial and debated in Japan. Um. A lot of Japanese people have, have, have some trouble grappling with the works of Yukio Mishima, a staunch nationalist and right-winger, a, in a, especially in a society that, that is divided by both left and right-wing. Um, in many countries, Japan not, not, um, not, ex- not you know, excluded um, in that. His poems, his works, it's its very debated as whether or not Yukio Mishima, while a great writer, um, is actually a figure that should be praised and should be, you know, inundated with this uh, praise for, for what he's done because he represents values that are no longer central to that of Japan today. Um, and not even, and by 1970, were slowly fading away before his eyes. And he felt that he could save that. But you may see him, many Japanese people may see him as not indicative of progress for Japan. And actually may be indicative of a, of a regression into a period of Japan which many people are not fond of anymore. Yukio Mishima. Nationalist, anti-globalist, anti-communist, writer, um, actor, bodybuilder. His legacy is, you know, it's it's one of those that we're still continually struggling with. If anybody would like to see a more comprehensive 
but but not necessarily like a full breakdown of of you know not like a full straight up dissertation on Mishima I guess if you don't want to read a hundred books on Yukio Mishima I highly recommend that you um, watch the film Mishima A Life in Four Chapters that film is very fascinating and very good at summing up not only Mishima's life and his ideas but also his works. The, the great thing about that movie is it takes place on his last day and then shows flashbacks into his past and then also has adaptations of his work built into it. So you can sort of get a fuller picture on who Yukio Mishima was, how he wrote um, his ideas and, and who he was as a person. So I would say watch that as supplementary, supplementary material. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Historical Hot Takes. I'm your host, Eduardo Lucas Abron, and we will see you next time. Peace.